0: Fred and Jeff and John are the three horsemen. They never get along, they're the three horsemen. They argue about science fiction and fantasy. Fred and Jeff and John are the three horsemen. Ride, horsemen, ride.
1: (coughs) (coughs) And good evening, and here we are again. It seems like just yesterday... We got off the phone with Linda Nagata, and here again, I've gathered my fellow horsemen and a special guest. So let me start by saying good evening to Mr. John Stevens.
2: Good evening, everybody. I am the aforementioned person, and I am a a writer and a bookseller and a reviewer and a critic and blah, 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 blah. And you can generally find me on Twitter as ogre.
1: And Mr. Jeff Patterson.
3: Hey, Jeff Patterson, eleven on Twitter, and if you follow me at all, you know I have a novella in the anthology Fantastic Defenders, and the story is called Iron Garden, and you should all go buy it.
1: And I am very happy that once again we get a guest on that we've been wanting to get on for a long time. Uh, let me introduce to everyone Mr. Saladin Ahmed. How are you guys? Good to be here. And we're excited on. Many ends because me because um, I've been a fan of Saladin's writing since I first came across I think him talking about his book maybe around 2009 ish.
0: Gosh, no, <laughs> something like that. 2010, yeah.
1: Yeah, and <clears throat> I know Jeff and John are very excited because he is now the half the creative force behind the relaunched Black Bolt. So here we are. We can talk fantasy. We can talk writing. We can talk gaming, and we can talk comics. All so, of it. So what's what is your origin story? <laughs> Were there radioactive
0: I was, spiders involved? I was just gonna say I was. <clears throat> I don't know, bitten by a radioactive. I'm not sure what. Um, <laughs> I think you have to be a little more specific about my origin story. I have multiple origin stories. Well, how
1: how did you I mean you're you're now writing comics, so how did you get interested
0: in comics? Oh, well that's uh yeah, that's probably my first reading material was uh was was comics. I mean other than I guess picture books probably. Um uh I, you know, I grew up reading fantasy <clears throat> less so science fiction, but uh uh but Kind of fantasy and science fiction novels I came to really after uh, things like comic books and, and, and gaming books, and so um, you know in my early years as a reader, say in, uh, in elementary school, uh, that's what I was reading constantly, and, and particularly Marvel comics. So uh, you know I, I I have almost a longer history with that form than I do with with prose fiction.
3: I'm really I'm really curious if uh, what the uh pitch slash audition for Marvel regarding black bolt
0: was like there, there wasn't much of one. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of came at this sideways sort of, uh, via the, the, the fiction, um, uh, my editor will knew my work, uh, as, as a fiction writer. Um, and, uh, as a kind of epic fantasy writer in particular, uh, and, um, you know, he was looking for Mar- Marvel's been in the process generally of kind of reaching out to, uh, writers who are established writers, but aren't comics writers. And, um, uh, this is kind of part of that general, I think, uh, uh, trend over there. But, um, in particular, you know, Black Bolt and the Inhumans have this sort of, <clears throat> this sort of weirdly, uh, epic fantastical uh flavor to them in the middle of this superhero world and so uh um and 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 this kind of weird cultural otherness even though they're all kind of phenotypically very white um so uh the, there's there was some kind of uh some stuff there that he thought might connect and then um so really they came to me which is Sort of the disappointing answer that I've, I've given to you know several <laughs> friends who are sort of like how did you do how did you do this and it's like I I I, I lucked out is basically the, the short answer. I, I wrote a book. It was
1: nominated for Nebula Award. <laughs> and there you go. Step free <laughs> profit. Like that.
0: Right. <laughs> yes.
3: Well, the thing that the thing that fascinates me about the Black Bolt book so far, which I've really been loving by the way, um, is uh, the fact that uh, I've been kind of harsh on Marvel the last couple of years. But they still managed to give us, you know, Jason Aaron, Aaron, Al Ewing, and Enrico Tamaka, and and, uh, uh, they're giving us creators that are doing books that are certainly around the edges of the big tent that they're trying to put up right now. And those books have been incredibly... Uh, satisfying uh, where a lot of their main titles are not. And I'm just kind of curious as to, is have they sort of given you a map with a with an arrow saying you are here when it comes to the greater Marvel universe, or did they ask you to do a book set on a prison on the other side of the galaxy so that it wouldn't really interact with the main titles or anything like that?
0: Well, it, it's uh sort of a bit of both um you know uh, so a little bit more of the background i had actually uh before um the, the slightly longer story is that um uh willow wilson who's uh, uh created ms marvel and is a, a writer there at marvel working on some other stuff too um you know she uh when marvel had started to reach out to other writers she had initially been the one to put me in touch with uh, with her editor sana anand who uh is, is her co-creator on, uh, um, is Marvel and, um, uh, is kind of a, a big wig there at Marvel. And, uh, uh, you know, she and I talked back and forth, Sana and I did, and th- there was nothing immediately that Marvel was looking for, for talent on. And so it was just sort of like, well, if you have a pitch, reach out to me. And, uh, I, I started, you know, to kind of noodle away at this pitch, uh, about prison and about, um, uh, incarceration and uh uh it was starring actually the absorbing crusher creole right it was a, a, <laughs> a character who always really sort of appealed to me uh uh as this sort of you know he's always kind of depicted as this sort of just one-dimensional working class one kid you know but uh but i always <clears throat> saw these glimmers uh in that character and uh you when know, i started this sort of a uh, this idea of a, a kind of marble orange of the new black, right? Talking about different prisoners and uh, and talking about prisons themselves. But it, it, it was sort of formless. I couldn't get it to cohere. And I, I just, I never, it never actually became a pitch. It didn't become much more than an idea for me. Uh, and while I was waiting to kind of come up with something good enough to send them, this is when <clears throat> this editor, Will Moss, reached out to me, uh, totally unbeknownst to, to um, uh, that I had been, you know, uh, in contact uh, previously just uh, about Black Bolt. He came to me and I said, well, you know, I, I actually have this thing I've kind of been working on and for plot reasons that are only now apparent in terms of Maximus and, and the royals going into space and this betrayal and stuff. It made total sense to have Black Bolt be isolated physically from from the rest of the Inhumans. And so the fact that I was talking about a prison book, just it was just this immediately uh, uh, kind of... Uh, fertile interaction between this idea that they had and this thing I was working on. So there's the, the, those came along really well. Now, Will Moss, is um, he's editing some really interesting books over there at Marvel. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, um, you know, I'm, I've, I've been recruited, and I, I, I don't know that I've been quite brainwashed, but one, once you're working with folks, <laughs> you start to sort of... Um, you start to extend the benefit of the doubt and and i think that does allow you to discover a lot of stuff that maybe if i was not in this position i, I wouldn't necessarily be, you know i'm I'm kind of having to figure out what the marvel universe looks like right now and yeah you know there's there's plenty of legit beefs that people have about uh, uh various things going on but there's also there's a lot of really interesting cool work and weird stuff happening right now and uh and diverse work uh being encouraged there And Will's um, uh, doing some of that, particularly kind of the stylistically diverse stuff. He's been he was the editor working on uh, the recent Vision book that was really just a very different uh, another. um, That was so good. Non-traditional comics writer, Tom King, uh, who's now working on Batman and and, and other stuff at DC. Um, uh, Will also is editing Squirrel Girl, right, Uh, which is just totally, totally different and uh, has this kind of kind of um cartoony feminist edge to it you know uh so it's it's and then uh, he also was the person who brought uh, Tana on for uh, Black Panther and so he's he's really um I really love his editorial vision which is basically not to have one singular vision but to take all these different writers and their strengths and and let them play in this sandbox without being too constrained so mm-hmm. now uh, I mean that said you know, I am I'm a Marvel nearby training. And so um, I, I even for myself, for kind of self-policing there, the, you know, you can only violate continuity so much before you're you're kind of uh, <laughs> I don't know. You're not writing a sonnet anymore. Right. A sonnet has a certain form. So uh, it's it's I don't know. It, 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 it It's a constant kind of back and forth. But for the most part, they were basically like, take your little corner here and do your weird thing and. Don't worry too much about it being a Marvel book, and uh, they, you know, it's really it's felt like the kind of freedom you would have on a, a creator-owned title, except working with Jack Kirby characters. So mm. it's, it's been really cool.
1: Now, when you were growing up, uh, were who were your favorite titles, or what were your favorite titles, or your favorite artists and writers?
0: Well, you know, um, it, it's funny. One of the things that I've been discovering going back and rereading some of this stuff is is you you just, you don't think about artists and writers as a kid, you know Um, you you really, maybe there are a couple of names that you start to recognize when you start to read this lots and lots of these issues, but especially early in comics reading, you know, before you become a teenager, say you are, you're paying attention to characters. And it's funny to think about that for myself right now, because uh, you know, so far my fiction has all been my stuff. Right. And now I'm starting to see people, talking about like this brilliant oh, oh this is a great this storyline and, and they don't know my fucking name <laughs> you know what I mean they just it's just it's Black Bolt did this like for a certain kind of reader the the creative team is almost invisible and that's much less the case nowadays because we get to be profiled in a way that that creators were not back in the day but uh but it's it's still you really take a backseat to the characters and when I think back to to What I what entranced me back in the day, I had to go back and look up like who wrote this one story where Iron Man and Spider-Man teamed up and we got this different view of kind of crime and social class that I remember so well. And, you know, oh, okay, find out it was, you know, this or that writer. And uh, um, uh, so for me, it was mostly characters back then. And, you know, I was I was a kid of the 80s. So it was, you know, the Claremont X-Men with all their sort of, you know, social um, oppression drama and soap opera addicts and and stuff that was that was big a big deal to me so I spent a lot of of time with, with the X Men books. Um, uh, probably the very most influential book for me back in the day though was uh, Jim Shooter's Secret Wars, oh, which was like, really? oh, I know everybody's like, oh it was so bad, it was just a <laughs> exploitative and it's I, I just disagree so much. I think it was basically. You know, there were all these weird... They weren't weird books. There were all these books, Spider-Man, the Claremont X-Men. There was, like, you know, uh, stuff happening with Captain America and this sort of, like, Walter Mondale Captain America, (laughs) (laughs) There's there's all this cool stuff going on in the the early 80s in these different books. And Shooter, who wasn't a writing genius, but I think, you know, uh, for all his, uh, uh, perhaps, despotism... i I think was an editorial genius he was able to take all these threads and then put them together and kind of like basically leech off the strengths of all these different writers who had done all this work with these characters and then throw them all together in a big battle royal uh you know in in a ridiculous situation where basically god makes them fight each other right or or not god the beyond or whatever (laughs) you know a godlike character and uh it was it was uh I don't know. It was, it was, it was a great series and and there were so many threads that then extended out further into the universe. So um, when I think about the one, you know, epic Marvel work that influenced me, that was probably it. But there were, there were tons of other little, little storylines too. And I was reading um, probably at too early an age uh, due to a permissive father. I was, a uh, I was reading a lot of indie stuff too. That was like in the eighties kind of black and white boom. So I was reading like, you know, Elementals and Justice Machine and Grendel and Mage and all these sort of really gory, quirky, indie superhero books too.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that was a a beautiful period for that. You know, it's funny you're talking about the anonymity of so many writers and I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the cover of Black Bolt 2, which is a spectacular cover. Uh, That was probably one of my favorite covers in a while. And I'm, you know, seeing the, the Marvel imprint and then I see your name and Christian Ward's name, and uh, there is a a, a pizza joint not far from me that is comic book themed and has very large lithographs and prints of various covers, and you look and you'll see like a Doctor Strange cover with a a, uh, Frank Bruner illustration, and you'll see like some Golden Age Batmans, and then you see, you know, uh, uh, George Perez's first issue of Wonder Woman, Mm. And it actually has George Perez's name emblazoned across the top of it. Oh, and, that's interesting. That, that whole period where the uh, creators started getting their names up there. And the 80s really was the the cauldron for that because there was so much indie work that was being done. And then suddenly, you know, creators came a big thing. And some people blame that, you know, blame the <laughs> – some will call it the veneration of the creators as as leading to – you know, the, the whole speculative boom and stuff like that. But I've always disagreed because, you know, like like you said, when I was a kid reading, I didn't know who the creators were. And it wasn't until I started noticing certain names on certain books and I started going, hmm, that book was really good. And um, and, and really following through and reading other stuff by by those uh, creators. Cool. Um I, I was kind of curious uh what's your just from a technical point of view what is your interaction with uh uh, uh christian Moore as as you're as you're producing this
0: it's uh yeah it's been very intense and uh um uh maybe atypical you know i mean i've i've certainly talked to friends that have done work at the big two uh where you know it's pretty shop like and there's you know, one quick interaction, you know, but the script is basically the way in which the artist and writer communicate and the writer writes the script, hands it off. The artist does their thing. If there's anything glaring and horrific, they might talk about it. But mostly that's it. Um, Christian and I, again, um, from what I'm hearing, this this is more of a process typical for our, for creator-owned books or, or books where a creative team has developed this uh, these characters themselves. Um, we, we're really... We just talk all the time, you know, I mean, I, we exchange messages probably every day, you know, um, not tons of them every day, but, but we're in constant contact, uh, just about, you know, this page or that panel or this layout or, and, uh, it's been, it's been great. I think, I think it's certainly improved the book. I think that we work as a creative team, uh, really well. We understand each other. He's really kind of helped to, to train me, you know, because I've, I've had, uh, to learn a new form as I've, uh, as I've done this, and um, and you know um, certainly my editor Will's been great with that, but probably Christian's been the person who's most been hands-on in, in terms of teaching me how to do this. So it's been uh, it's it's been a, a kind of a dream really interacting with him. And I'm kind of dreading, um, you know, I, I, I uh, there are some other uh, projects uh, that I you know can't talk about yet um, that are on the horizon and uh, uh, comics projects, and uh, I am kind of dreading whoever i end up working with like you know it's like your first love or something like that i like i i don't know i i i've been spoiled here so yeah it's it's been fantastic who
3: who gave uh crusher creel
0: the purple pants
3: back was that you or him
0: that was that was me um uh just (laughs) thank you and and there's actually a uh well you know so in this in this prison as we'll kind of discover as, as the issues where on, um, the nature of reality is a is a question um of, of of kind of where physical reality is coming from and uh at one point crusher uh will remark you know i i didn't even own these pants anymore and but when i showed up here i'm wearing my pants right <laughs> my purple pants and uh you know, um. So yeah, that that was uh. But that was me. I mean, <laughs> um, and because he's gotta have the purple pants. I don't. Know, I, I've yeah, seen him always hated, pants. always hated the striped pants. So. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, that was that was all me.
1: For me, I mean, I, I the first uh issue, I kind of had almost like a Roger Zelazny vibe to it for me. Oh. Just thank me. you. I was like. <laughs> hmm, is this Amber? The guy, you know, dies and lives and dies and lives. But then I started the the artwork, and again, I don't know whether this was your suggestion or his influence, but I'm like, uh, as you may have seen me today tweeting various panels, I'm like, oh, very curvy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there was definitely a, a, a conscious effort to incorporate some of that kind of Silver Age... Uh, aesthetic and particularly uh, Kirby um, but uh but you know just as a, as a kind of streak in there you know christian's is his aesthetic is definitely his own it's interesting yeah. it's it's got a lot of influences in it but uh, there's nothing that kind of brings those influences together quite the way his work does I feel
1: but then uh, in mm-hmm. you were writing some of the dialogue uh, the uh, absorb no, the absorbing man See, here's where I here here's where I display my lack of knowledge of characters, but it was like at one point where he's talking, and I'm like all of a sudden saying to myself, you know, that's like Stan Lee's writing this. <laughs> yeah, he got that <laughs> voice. He got that. You know, the the combination of you know long syllables, and, but then ending up with some sort of almost slang like twist at it. And then, uh, yeah, we no, totally. It, uh,
0: it's it's the, the, the the they're they're language um uh lee and kirby when he came to writing uh uh their their prose has absolutely been an influence on me generally as a writer and in this book i'm absolutely uh uh you know the captions um it, it's funny you know i have this thing the same thing happened with my 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 fantasy novel right is that i think some people read it and they're like oh god this guy's overwriting and it's like it's like well yeah i yes but but i'm doing it on purpose is it does that matter you know i because those you know th- that purplish that slightly purplish prose with that kind of epic uh, uh that kind of i don't know i don't want to say mock epic but uh uh the the, the sort of uh, light epic uh flavor to the language mm-hmm. uh uh and these uh, a lot of really uh hitting you over the head with with you know consonants and essence and i mean I, I love that stuff you know and uh and it's uh i mean where else to do that but in superhero comics and right where, I mean, else? where you get away with it so so justifiably right I don't
1: know. and where else are you gonna find somebody using the word rube yeah.
0: well that, yeah the, the, <laughs> the dialect is a whole other you know because this is the thing about these characters right is they were they were created in the 60s yep. so you know crusher's like uh you know he's it's, he's from the Bronx, and it's funny because it's like, you know, that, that's still how I kept his story. And it's like the neighborhood he's actually supposed to be from. There's probably not any white people left there, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like this is this story of like he was growing up in what would have been the 50s, right? When Stanley is thinking of where this guy came from and stuff like that. So, um, and 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 you know, there there was a, a moment with that first issue, that part where he says, "What a rube!" Uh, and he says, "You know, yeesh, what a rube!" About uh, about Black Bolt. And originally the line was, uh, what a maroon, right? <laughs> and and I actually had to take to Twitter because millennials are going to be reading this, right? So I had to take to Twitter and say, does anyone know what this means? And like, you know, lots and lots and lots of people under 40 did not know the Bugs Bunny reference. So I was like, okay, that's, you know, um, that, that, I can't use that. <laughs> so it's it's it is this uh this tribute to kind of uh the silver age, right? Uh but hopefully in a way that's not just kind of pure pastiche, and is kind of bringing it into 21st century. That worked for me. Mm.
3: Can you can you tell us uh how many issues this is going to be or is it ongoing?
0: I mean it's it's ongoing for all that that means in today's marketplace. Yeah. Uh I mean, you know, average run of a book day something like 18 issues or something like that so um you know uh, i certainly um you know we've got this uh first arc uh i'd be i i'd be pretty surprised uh if marvel made the decision uh to end it before the second arc that i'm now handing them books on wraps up um so you know i i, I, I mean i think we're looking at at least a year of this book um and god willing not then would but uh you know you can't say anything for sure these days so. hmm. Hmm. john
1: yes well i thought you were gonna i thought <laughs> i don't know I, I thought i heard you chime in before i stepped on you so
2: oh no, no 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 but um but i'll i'll step in um yeah i mean i was i was actually very impressed with uh. With the comic, because of that mix of um, not nostalgia, but sort of tribute to the source, combined with um, a story that's much more um, sophisticated than than some of the predecessors. I mean, I mean, like you said at the start, the I mean, humans have always been this weird, you know? They're very powerful people that nobody knows about and stuff. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but but then I find a lot of writers don't know what to do with them as a result. Yeah. They just yeah, they're sort know. Of like how how do I handle these guys? They don't really you know impact direct Marvel continuity, but they're very important. They're sort of like part of the lore of the universe. So they're almost sort of legendary figures, but how do you humanize them? But then again, not make them too human because they're not supposed to be humans. Just this, you know, it's just like, it's been very hard to see someone really, really sort of grasp what they're all about. Even when they were created, it felt kind of like, it felt weird. But I think you've done a really good job with Black Bolt in actually giving him a character, which I think he's lacked for a lot of his life. Mm -hmm. he's He's just been like, the mute, oh. you know, creature who's noble and eventually will kill a lot of people because he <laughs> opened his mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I I always wanted to be kind of like a giant metaphor, um, for the problem of power, mm. but also for you know the idea of you know nobility and how it's supposed to function. It's supposed to function quietly. You're supposed to have that, you know, noble aura. And that's, it seems like somebody writers tried to get him along with that. He's a powerful superhero, but also just his presence is so striking, um, partly because of his silence, that people just kind of, you know, don't know how to respond to him or, mm-hmm. um, but what I liked here was that I actually got a very clear sense of his personality which I haven't really seen much of before, and that was great. And like I said, that combination of sort of tribute to his past, like, he didn't do some kind of fresh, edgy, new, bold direction. <laughs> it emerges out of his past very, very much so, but it's also, you know, really interesting and really, really well conceived. So it, it works. You're really interested in what the character's going to do. You know, even though he's talking about sort of these Marvel cliches about, you know, all-powerful beings and sort of that warping of reality that happens, I think, much more in Marvel books than DC books, Mm -hmm. um, where reality just seems really unstable in the Marvel universe. Um, How he takes (laughs) that. that's
3: an understatement.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, even look in terms of how they do giant events, like Marvel does we're going to stick all of our heroes on a secret world and have them beat each other to death. Yeah. We're <laughs> going to have this really involved, historical, analytical position. <laughs> of how the universe is reorganized into, you know, it's like, it's really like order versus chaos. I keep yeah, getting <laughs> pop up in a DC comic and go, excellent, it's all going to plan. I'm going to undermine you all.
0: Um, yeah, I'm chaotic. But, so (laughs) it's 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 a natural then you're a good fit for marvel yes yeah yes (laughs) yeah I, i i i i've definitely um i mean a lot of those tropes are um ones that i've wanted to engage i mean when you when you read kind of black bolt uh you know throughout the 60s and 70s that's the Every every other caption about him is the noblest of the Inhumans. Yes. Right? It's, it's always, well, that, it's, that's all they get to go on. And, and, and what precisely <laughs> that means, other than bearing, right, is sort of like uh, right. uh it, It's just utterly undescribed, right? And right. so, uh, <laughs> um, but I but but I I, I kind of like that. And 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 what I'm he well. is this metaphor. He's this metaphor. For, um for sort of you know I guess responsible exercise of power and, and restraint sure. um but uh I mean you know uh, I mean John you and I've interacted online for years and you know you, you know that I'm a am a kind of fairly diehard lefty right and so uh right. I um I mean to me what's really interesting to do with this character is uh, I've, I've always been profoundly uh contemptuous of the uh, of the sort of heavy <laughs> is the head that wears the crown thing right um <laughs> right and so so uh i'm i know that that is the starting point of expectation with black bolt but uh i've and, and this has been the thing about surrounding him with uh kind of more working characters right uh uh, uh is just to, to have voices subverting him right uh, sure. uh from from the get and Through that, but not not in a way that's um, you know I've I've come to really love this guy as a character, and so uh, you know uh, my hope is that he's this he's learning something you know during the series, and so uh, it's it's kind of fun even though sometimes I get some barbs in on him, uh, and uh, I am Mm -hmm. trying to force this character to kind of reckon with the past, uh, the kind of in universe past and all the stuff it sort of symbolizes. Right. out of the Marvel universe. Uh, it's it's sort of, I don't know, there's, there's a kind of hopeful edge there in terms of, I guess, redemption. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's interesting how you invert a lot of what Black Bolt has been classically. So like you were talking about the responsible exercise of character metaphor, which is sort of getting undermined here because his power has been taken away mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, th- there's a, there's a certain arrogance he's always held that hasn't been sort of adequately played out. And now it's getting played out here mm-hmm. because, yeah. you know, he's doing this, Oh, I have a terrible power contained within me that I must use responsibly. Oh, I'm going to use it now because I'm upset mm-hmm. and, um, he can't. Yeah. And he, you know, and I, I love the thing where he fought both, um, Crusher and, uh, is it Riva?
0: Rava. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Rava. Um, and they're both like, yeah, we totally let you win he yeah. <laughs> would, would have been a cry baby about it <laughs> um, and I, I you know just all that undermining and even undermining creel who's usually just been kind of a dunderhead mm-hmm. and he's actually really street savvy and he has some concerns and he has a you know he has a life back home he's not just a shortlist dude running around with a big ball and chain whacking people um <laughs> like all that all that enrichment, I think really helps to make it a really good comic
0: um, because it you're ain't looking see for... nothing yet <laughs> excellent
3: yeah the uh you were talking about black bolt's history, and I was thinking one of the th- one of my criticisms of uh, uh prior to the latest secret wars there was the big uh war of kings uh that was tied in with the uh the more cosmic tableau that Marvel was really pushing at the time. And I just remember, I mean, Black Bolt was one of the two title characters in it. And it was pretty much, we have to go here and fight Vulcan. We have to go here and fight Vulcan. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty much the extent. He really never had a great deal of agency aside from, you know, and at that point, hell, they put him in charge of the whole pre Empire. Free, yeah. And, and it was like one of those, well, what are you, you going to do with all this? You know, you've got... You've got all this uh, stuff you can work with, and, and as much as I enjoyed that series, it was more to see Vulcan mincing about chewing the scenery than anything else, mm-hmm. and, and Black Bolt just sort of became the the, the foil for it. So
0: it's well, nice it's interesting see. because one of the things I'm discovering is I think that a uh, part of this is a is a style is a is, I don't even want to say stylistic, is a, a, a kind of formal thing, and that's that. Uh, there's really. I, you know, people ask before, when I was doing interviews before this came out, every, well, how are you going to have him talk? How are you going to have him talk? And uh, um, while he does have a voice right now, um, uh, he's not – I mean, th- this is not a massive swear. He's not going to be talking through the entire series. That's a temporary thing in this moment of the plot. And uh, um, in the first issue when he was not yet seen speaking, uh, there are these captions that are essentially a, a, a narrator voice – that's uh, essentially, you know, a uh, uh, third person, very limited, deep within his head, right? And uh, that's not something a lot of comics writers are comfortable doing. Uh, perhaps wisely, but you know, I'm coming here from prose, so I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So <laughs> um, uh, the, the last writer to really get into that was Neil. Uh, uh, sorry, not Neil Adams. It was, um, uh, Denny O'Neill, right? Yeah. Who is uh, mm-hmm. who was writing? And, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, when Neil Adams is drawing, him. and, uh, it was like, it, it, it was, they were cheesy. The, the, the captions were cheesy, but they, but that's the only time we've really like gotten a real, a real glimpse of his personality. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I I've kind of perhaps erred on the side of, uh, of, um, nostalgia in terms of uh stuff that people don't usually do so much in comics anymore people do first person captions all the time which i find bizarre yeah. but uh they, they, but, they, but, came, but, they, they came to
3: replace uh thought balloons so
0: yeah basically right so um you know the, the, there's some different stylistic things that i'll be using to kind of to give get into that personality and get into his head but uh um i think that he's such a it's bizarre in a way that he's been around for decades and uh so few people have explored. Like he, he spent his entire childhood raised essentially as a science experiment in a soundproofed chamber by his weird genetic scientist dad, who had been experimenting on him in the womb. And it's like, and you know, and his best friend's a teleporting dog. And you know, it's like, like how, have, <laughs> you know, like like what? How have you not thought about how this guy thinks more, right? Uh, so. So it's, it's been fun kind of exploring that.
1: Wait a minute. telepathing, hmm. uh, Teleporting dogs? So that would be... um
0: uh, well, okay. uh,
2: Yes.
1: Okay. Oh, my mind is
0: blown. <laughs> he's 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 fun. Yeah.
3: Has he been in the, uh, the Al Ewing book? The Royals? I don't know if I've seen him. In
0: the he movie. is not in Royals. Oh, so perhaps that means we don't know where he is, and perhaps yeah. he'll show up somewhere else. Oh, maybe
1: shadowing.
3: <laughs> well, we've already seen him save the day a couple times in, in the last few years, so it'll be it'll be fun to see him back. I'm I'm actually kind of curious when you're talking about early fandom. What, are there any books right now that are really turning me on?
0: You know, um, it's funny because I I I can't talk out of stuff without sounding like a Marvel commercial right now because <laughs> I've been so buried in marvel stuff as research for work that really that's 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 the comics i've been reading which is like you know it's is, is uh kind of strictly a professional function right now so um but uh but i think there's lots of cool stuff happening there um uh and i've been reading some other stuff um there's a uh, delilah dawson is a book out right now called lady castle it's lady castle, yeah. pretty cool uh what else have I been looking at? Alex DeCampi, who I uh, w- was starting to work with, um, I, well, I have a thing that we're pitching together. I don't know whether it's ever going to see the light of day, but um, her recent Grindhouse comics, which I, I used to read horror comics a lot when I was a kid also. And uh, it, it's kind of cool seeing what's out there now in terms of horror. But So she has a, a book called, uh, it's done now, but uh, called Grindhouse that was out recently. It's so pretty cool. Um what else have I been reading? But yeah, it's, it's it's mostly been a lot of it's been a lot of Marvel stuff recently. Um, there was a, a Kingpin limited series uh, uh, recently that was really interesting because it was sort of about Wilson Fisk writing a memoir or, or, or narrating a memoir. But it was really the main character is this journalist and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm reading I'm reading stuff constantly, but it's mostly research, and so um, I don't I don't know that <laughs> I have a really a, Sort of a, a, a unbiased take on it. <laughs>
3: uh-huh. What uh, what character would you love to get your hands on?
0: You know, so it, it, this is the the kind of deeply unromantic part of this is like you know because people keep <laughs> asking me that and it's like and of course as soon as they you know they ask me what they're I'm like okay now I got to start scheming on what the next the next picture. But, but the <laughs> but the thing that you realize is like every fucking character you can think of has ha, is is spoken for the next six months what they're doing right and uh and every clever little idea you have someone's done that idea with a different character or is planning to do that with a different character three months from now and right and so it's it really is this this massive machine i mean there are hundreds of characters at marvel if not thousands and It's, uh, and, and I mean, there are entire databases dedicated to this stuff, right? And, Mm -hmm. and assistants whose main job is like making sure two people are not using the same person at once. (laughs) Uh, so it's, it's, it, it, it's almost immaterial who I'd like to get my hands on because, um, really what it ends up being is like what is available and a good fit, you know? Mm. So, um, I mean, there are certain characters, I mean, I, I, I really want to write Storm one day, in one form or another. Um, I'd like to write Black Panther one day, in a, one form or another. Um, I'd, I'd like to write Ms. Marvel, you know? I didn't obviously grow up with her, but she's a, this really cool new character. Um, but, you know, it's funny because when people ask me this before I started at Marvel, Crusher was the first person I always mentioned. And now wow. I'm doing it. So I, I really, you know, from here out, it's kinda gravy. Um, I think the, 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 the one, thing and uh and i you know it's it's pretty unlikely but i did uh i did say that you know whenever this becomes available i i I want my hat thrown in the ring is uh believe it or not captain america i'd love i'd love to write steve rogers just for like you know six months and just uh just you know just pick at that a little bit you know he's he's always been this this character that uh You know, I'm I'm deeply, deeply, deeply suspicious of the entire American ideal um, uh, or or as an abstract ideal. But he's always been this character to me that that at his best could sort of um, uh, represent, uh, you know, a manifestation of the promise that never actually happens in our real world. Right. And so uh, I, I think it'd be fun. It'd be fun to go go back to that. The Captain America that that you know, stop being Captain America because of Nixon. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't see that happening anytime soon, but <laughs> we'll see. Now,
1: I seem to recall changing gears slightly. You're involved in a different superhero universe now, aren't you? Ah, uh, wild cards. Yes,
0: sir. Is that what you're referring to? That's yes. Yeah. Yeah, I am. So, uh, I do still write pr- prose <laughs> in bits and pieces and, uh, yeah, uh, one of the more recent things I've done is I, I, I wrote a, uh, well, I don't know if I can call it, it, it's somewhere between a short story and a novel. What is, what is 12,000 words, 9,000, 10,000 words, whatever it is. So a right. long short story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you're not quite in novelette territory yet. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Okay. So it's a, yes, yeah, a long short story. Um, although in, in the wild cards tradition, it's essentially a chapter, right? Mm-hmm. So for, for the listeners that don't know, um, wild cards is a, a superhero universe created by uh, George R.R. R. Martin and Melinda Snodgrass and uh, some other folks um, primarily those two though. Um, and it's uh, existed since the eighties and it's uh, sort of, sort of a, along the lines of what he would later come to do in game of thrones and sort of darkening and, and demystifying high fantasy. Uh, this sort of did that for superheroes same way watchmen and, and, and dark Knight did, but, uh, uh, um, at the same time that it did, right? But in prose, uh not in comics. Right. It's always interesting to me that, that nobody ever talks about wild cards when they talk about that moment in the eighties, right? Of of dark dark deconstruction, because it was it was doing the exact same thing. And uh it's it's been um since George has become, you know, one of the most famous writers in the world, uh his his kind of project for fun, I think, <laughs> fiction project for fun has been uh, Still kind of shepherding this thing, um, and he invited me to create a character for the world. You have to go through a whole, you know, audition thing. It's weird because it started as a gaming thing. Yep. Um, he, he was uh, uh, GMing, I think, Superworld back Super, in the day. Superworld
1: for Chaosium. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and uh, uh,
0: um, and it, it's still you can tell he's, he's still got this this. You know, DM nerd <laughs> kind of directorial thing as a, as an editor because it's it's you have to kind of basically make your little character sheet and submit it to him. You you, you don't have you, you don't have actual stats or anything, but it's it's like you know it's like one of these or you know the entries in the uh, complete handbook to the Marvel universe or whatever from back in the day. So like you know what's their name? What's their powers are they? Um and uh, so I, I did that. I created a character. Named Meat Hooks, who's uh, Lebanese American, kind uh, of, kind of uh, some of the same notes I'm hitting with, with the Crusher character in, in the comic, kind of, kind of a tough guy, um, street smart tough guy, and uh, his his mutation when the uh, Wildcard virus hit him is uh, he his fists grown to these big kind of engine block size slabs of raw meat with uh, hooks and barbs and things popping out of them. And then when he gets, you know, uh, kind of into fighting mode, raw meat covers more of his body and, and other kind of hooks and, and like a big giant kind of like, uh, uh, meat hook comes out of his left hand and it's, you know, he likes George likes gross stuff. So, you know, and this, this, this virus is supposed to be sort of horrific. It's not like pretty superpowers. So, right. So I created this, uh, this character and, uh, there's a, Wildcard's serial novel is what um, he calls them. And they're uh, essentially – there's a central plot thread, but a bunch of different writers each write a chapter focused on their character that the editors then kind of write interstitial bits for um, and uh, tie together into basically a novel, sort of somewhere between an anthology of short stories and a novel. It's really cool. And, uh, um, yeah, so that will be out – sometime next year there's a new trio of books coming out that are based in American cities. Uh and the one I'm doing is based in Chicago. It's called Low Chicago. They're all um kind of card game references, the titles of the books. Right. So it's it's called Low Chicago. It's coming out I think mid two thousand eighteen, something like that. And uh um yeah it was it was it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun to work on.
1: And in coordinating that and writing it and stuff, I mean, is there I mean, I don't. I'm not looking for like a, a login or something. But is there some sort of how? How do you you and the other writers coordinate the story?
0: Well, you know, um, the process starts with uh, George saying, "Here's the call for submissions," because there's, there's a you know, I think 40 of us in the right. in the collective, at least, and at in least any point, given yeah. book, there's going to be maybe 10 stories, right? Mm-hmm. And so he says, "Here's here's the call. Um, here's the organizing plot." of the of the novel overall, and you'd write, you know, these different, um, uh, basically the, the plot, the plot structures for all of these are sort of lend themselves to things where there could be several smaller stories within a larger story, right? So he writes out, here's the, here's basically the outline for the larger story, and here are the kind of smaller areas where your stories would slot in. People write a bunch of submission ideas, he chooses the ones he wants, and then he goes back and forth with you. Um, And then there's other editors, um, uh, depending on the given, like Melinda or whoever else it might be on a given book, Um, and you go back and forth with that editor. And the rules are kind of like they can use your character, but you sort of have to approve it. You know, you have to say they're not going to do it in a way that feels like it's violating your character and and vice versa. If you want to borrow characters that have been established, you just kind of, with the given character's creator, um, you check with them and, and... you know George does a lot of that coordinating. It's very it's in, it's an intensive process. It's and it's not, you know, it's really something he's doing out of love basically because he's been doing it for decades and is keeping this keeping the game going basically. The campaign's been going for <laughs> you know, however many years and doesn't want it to die.
1: So I remember, I don't know if you read Thieves World when that was out. Yeah, which yeah. which was sure. pretty much the the original that I know of, <laughs> the earliest that I'm aware of. But um, I think it was Robert Asperin wrote an introduction where he's talking about how, you know, they're they're all exchanging information by letter. And then they start, you know, these different authors are like, well, I'll show you what's going on with my character. If you show me what's going on with your character, you know, and, you know, what, what did you do with my character? You know, they just did see that. <laughs> so I was hoping that George had come up with some rules.
0: No, mostly, mostly you're doing your own thing and then you compare, but, you know, it does happen that some of these things will violate each other, so then you do have to go back to the drawing board together, you know,
1: so. I mean, uh, one of our uh, friends and a a past podcast guest, David Annandale, is working in the Warhammer 40,000 universe, and Mm. I think, like, I don't know whether it's once a year or twice a year, they all meet in England and thrash out, you know... What's going to happen with their their sections coordinating anything like this? Any of these shared universes, uh, it's just got to be a nightmare. Sort of like
0: working in Marvel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I think that stuff does happen with wild cards. With there's like three or four of the core folks who've been around for a couple decades working on this stuff. George, yeah. Melinda, a few other folks, mm-hmm. um, and I think those folks do have that kind of level. I think those of us who are just writing the occasional story, you know, we just kind of Get brought into that as much as as we need to be, and and it's the same at Marvel. They they have entire big editorial meetings where they're retreats where they're doing that kind of stuff. But us us lowly editors, we just you know we're like the blind man with the elephant. Well, need to feel the tail. That's it. (laughs) At some point in either Wild Cards or Black Bolt,
1: I hope you can somehow work in that one guy from that one short story you wrote, where the uh, it's all the villains and oh. like the, the inner monologue was like oh my god these people you know
0: oh yeah that was my my, my snarky racial uh <laughs> take on, on yeah no i think that would be i think that will stay a prose thing i might people ask me it's it's funny because it was like a 1500 word short story but every once in a while somebody's like are you gonna ever write a sequel to that well, it was, so like, was, you know, was kind of like my 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 basically like my my sjw the tick kind of <laughs> basically <laughs> you know mashed up you know so but uh no yeah maybe so i forgot to tell you by the way uh th- so there is a, there's a creator own project that uh, i can't divulge a lot of details about because there's no papers have been signed but it it looks god willing not going pretty likely here uh and it's a it's a, a kind of a cult detective uh project and uh um, the the main character is is a journalist and her her editor's name is is Fred <laughs> is uh, named after you dude. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> just so, just so you know, I want I I don't think I'd mentioned that to you yet. No, so. you haven't. Yeah. I, I
2: Feel was, the tuckerization. Well, I was yes. uh,
1: I was gonna mention shift gears again and and go over to the uh, the Crescent Moon. So. Uh, sure. For listeners who are not familiar with it, my first encounter with Saladin was his book Throne of the Crescent Moon, which is a really fun book. I mean, well, you know, there's scenes of horrific torture and evisceration and all sorts of nice nice stuff like that, but the main character, I just love that guy. You know, you're he, he, an older kind of supernatural detective who would really rather stay home and drink tea and eat cakes rather than bestir himself out and go destroy ghouls but you know the, the universe is uh coming to an end so he has to you know sally forth with his sidekicks and try and write write things again so um
0: uh when's the sequel coming out man <laughs> <laughs> well i'll tell you you know i'll tell you what. i'll tell you guys the uh the the exclusive here now um uh sort of it's, it's, I, I mean the the kind of short and long version, and you know, most of this has been, I've, I've talked about this pretty publicly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, the book came out in 2012, five years ago now. Um, and, you, you know, when it came out, I was already, had made, you know, headway on a, a sequel. Um, and essentially, uh, you know, I had a kind of a good old fashioned nervous breakdown and uh, uh, really had a kind of, a uh, wrangling with my own mental health in a way that I, for a lot of reasons of of, of background mostly, um, uh, I never really done. Uh, uh, I never thought about doing, and uh, it, it was it was a, a long dark couple of years um, uh, where I wasn't really writing anything. I, I I I was writing furiously for a while. I completed about three quarters of a draft of the book, and then totally destroyed it. Uh, uh, like, put a nail through the hard drive and stuff, Ooh. right? Uh, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is before sort of instant online backup, right? Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a pretty bad time. And uh, um, what I, I've only pretty recently come out of that, and I started writing short fiction again and started working on the novel again, re- really last year um uh i'd been working on it in bits and pieces but uh really the process kind of led me to realize it that this was never a book that i was going to write a sequel to a year or two after in, in in the kind of manner of series nowadays and that it was really that that i was conceiving it as a series uh, as a kind of contemporary series where the books come out every six months or every year and and you know just keep being written until they're not anymore, right? Um, uh, that I was conceiving of it uh, just kind of because that's what the market was, right? And uh, and I, I wrote this thing I really wasn't happy with and I I, I I let it die. There's pieces of it I wish I had saved, but overall, you know, um, it probably had to die. And, you know, the long, long, long process that I've begun since then is I write a couple of hundred words a week um, on book two. I know where it's going, but really um, it's probably going to be that book that like, you know, after everyone's forgotten about the first book, you know, seven, eight, nine years after the first books come out. People will say, oh my gosh, there's a sequel coming out when they've stopped to think about it as a series and they just think about it as this book that they remember from a few years ago. They remember fondly. And uh, then the sequel will come out and uh, and hopefully rekindle some feelings and uh, and not feel like a, a delayed piece of a series. <laughs> right. um, and uh, it's changing the way I'm writing the second book. Um, uh, the second book's going to be a lot longer than I initially thought of. It's gonna pick up at a different point, um, uh, but it'll it'll probably be another few years. Now in terms of business stuff, you know, I've settled that with with my editors contractually and everything like that. So really, my only um, my only accountability right now feels like to readers. And um, you know, there's there's always gonna be that core of people who are like, oh, fuck you, finish the book. And uh, <laughs> you know, I I don't know what to say to them. You know, um, but I, I've uh, you know, I, I can't, you know, I have kids, I can't kill myself for this, you know, oh. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I, w- what I've encountered <clears throat> far, far, far more is a, a lot of folks out there who, um, who are excited and really want to see a second book and are ready for it when it comes, but who are willing to follow me as a writer and as a voice, I, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what I'm working on, whether it's short fiction, whether it's comics, uh, whether it's something else. Uh, and, are, and are just kind of willing to support that voice and, and see uh, and, and and kind of check it out, doing what it's supposed to be doing at that time rather than like, you know, bending over backwards to write something that's not ready to be written. Right? Yeah. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful. I mean, really thankful for, uh, you know, I know that some of your listeners are probably some of those folks. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm Patreon. For you know, and and in other ways, for a, a good couple of years where I was hardly producing anything, these people, you know, you folks were, um, you know, keeping me alive. And uh, and now I'm I'm writing a lot now, and it's not what I was writing a couple of years ago, but I think it's going to make people who, who like my work happy. And um, uh, eventually we will see Adula again. I visit him now and then, and and I think uh, I want people to be. Feel like it was the right time when they see him again, and, and and they will.
3: Okay. Well, I'll just throw out there that I think he'd make an awesome comic book character, but.
0: <laughs> <Nah>.
1: <laughs> I thought there had been a. Was there an adaption?
0: No, no, there's not, and I, and I, and it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility. But I, maybe I'm just thinking of mm-hmm. fan art because I I know there was some really good fan there's art. There's been some great fan art.
1: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just want to find out about that one guy who's, been, who's going to be dying of dysentery if he survives, you know. <laughs>
0: he's, he's,
1: <laughs> I won't he, mention he will, who, who he he he's based will on. He will be it. in
0: the final form of, of, of the second book, no matter what, definitely.
1: <laughs> so, uh, shifting gears one more time. Uh, uh, one One thing that I remember fondly is you and Mike Cole doing a, a video of gaming for a bunch of authors. Uh-huh. So I know you've yeah. got a big love of gaming. So want we'll to talk about that a little bit, or or sure, yeah. Okay.
0: So what? How did you get started there? Wow. Well, um, you know, it's funny. I uh, I've uh, my kids just got out of school for the summer, and uh, um, they just got through first grade and uh, I have the new fifth edition monster manual sitting around nice. and my son picks it up every day, every day, just memorizing these, these statistics. He's never played Dungeons and Dragons, you know? And, uh, and I, I played with them once when they were like five, I did a kitty version, right? I ran it for them. Uh, him and his sister, I have twins. And, uh, um, I, it's, it's making me think about like when I discovered the game and I was, I was a bit older than him. Um, I was probably you know, he's seven. I was probably like eight or eight or nine when I first discovered D and D. Um and uh I I was at a friend's house and uh, his friend came over and played from like the uh the first edition A D and D players handbook, uh hardcover and uh I was a magic user. And I got killed by an owl bear <laughs> instantly, uh, right? Because it was like some probably little shit, you know, DM. I don't, I don't even remember the kid that was DMing very <laughs> well. Some snotty ten-year-old that had like two eight-year-olds under his control, right? So, of course, we died horribly. Um, uh, but yeah, I remember just being totally entranced by that book when this kid had this book and um and going um you know, getting my dad. Uh, we, we didn't have a ton of money, but my dad was always cool about books and so um going getting this book and just reading this thing cover to cover Gary Gygax's you know beautifully sometimes god-awful prose right uh and uh I just I I mean I I played you know I would eventually when my younger brothers and sisters got old enough I would run campaigns with them I would play villains and vigilantes a lot uh, which is like an old school superhero game um Mm -hmm. uh I played that a lot with my 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 buddies. Um, uh, but most I just read the, the, these books were like, I, I owned so many role playing books that I'd never once played the game. You know, they were like novels to me, uh, yeah. growing up and, 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 you know, um, derisively some might, <laughs> you know, note that my, my, my writing style probably been influenced by that, but you know, I'll, I'll wear it on my sleeve. I don't, you know, I, uh, I, I think that I got a lot of influence, um, from from that stuff as a writer you know um so when i think about world building and i, I think about uh my use of, of archetypes and, and veering into the times maybe stock characters um uh it, it, it's all rooted there um but i think that yeah it was it was so imaginative the way you could use that stuff and i think uh it's um it's it definitely it, it stays with me now did uh
1: appendix n did you read the the, the the various novels that were listed there or had you already read them i mean was that you know
0: those you guys know, here's, here's,
1: influence at all or
0: this is the funny thing is i never came to fantasy writers through that isn't that bizarre it's like i i should have mm-hmm. uh, but again i wasn't a huge reader of novels at that age um i um i i read a lot of comics you know um a lot of uh, gaming stuff and a lot of like star wars adaptations <laughs> and things like that but like you know um I, uh, I i i didn't read tons of original fantasy novels until i don't know maybe junior high something mm-hmm. like that and that's when i wasn't necessarily um i wasn't necessarily going to, to monster manual or, uh, or or sorry i guess it was a player's handbook for a for influences. I was just kind of stumbling on covers that looked neat. Um, my dad was, uh, 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 is a fantasy science fiction nerd too. So, you know, I, I did have the, um, again, you know, we're, we we did not have a lot of money. He, he didn't have a ton of education. He put himself through school eventually, but, uh, he did have a bookshelf, uh, you know, one bookshelf of books and Dune was on there. The Hobbit was on there barlow's guide to extraterrestrials was on there oh yes uh which i I never i never read any of those books that those monsters that those aliens came from but i sat there and read every one of those fucking alien descriptions you know there's something about the taxonomic i think that really Mm -hmm. because i'm watching it in my son right and uh and you know just categorizing and um you know he'll read he'll read a novel but he reads he reads comics and uh, he likes reading stat blocks, Yep. you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't know, it's I don't know if it's something particularly male. Sometimes I think it's it's uh, it's uh, a tendency in boys. But uh, um, yeah, I, I before I ever got into novels, those were, those were my influences. And and thank God that there was this uh, weirdly baroque prose out there in these books at that time, right? That it was it was this um, uh, really there. The style, I think, pro style in, in RPGs is not um, this is, is more utilitarian nowadays, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, Gary Gygax was like, I don't know, I don't know what he was smoking, but <laughs> you know, when he was he was writing, it was like, um, uh, he would get into these flights, and you could tell there was this lyric impulse uh, uh, that that he, he was supposed to be telling you how to play a game. These just be game instructions, right? But uh, but he was like, he was going off as a writer. And oh, yeah. uh, I think that definitely influenced
1: me. Oh, well, I, mm. I, I see similar things in my daughter as far as stat blocks. I mean, I think she's writing probably up to 600,000 words in her epic Pokemon novel, but, you know. Oh, my God, that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. Oh, that's great. I have, I have no idea how big it is. All I know is she keeps writing it and writing it and
0: writing it, and who knows where she'll end up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pokemon or another one. That was before before Monster Manual. That was just, like knowing which type, right? Yep. And and it's like this, you could talk about it for like days.
1: <laughs> so uh, before we move on to culture, consumed any more questions from the panelists?
3: No, I think yeah. he's explained where he is right now in a very good place, and I'm very happy. To, <laughs> at
0: horrifying length. No, no, no. <laughs>
3: Uh, this is this
1: is not one of our epic episodes believe me (laughs) We, we are very good at rambling we have not yet warmed up we're trying to restrain ourselves so at this point we normally talk about um what else we've been reading uh for fun or viewing or gaming or anything so um mr stevens anything new
2: I'm reading the exact same stuff I talked about last week. <laughs> mm. I mean, I, I've made some headway into Born, which I'm liking more and more as it goes along. Um, I picked up some more. Um, another volume of uh, Chinese mountain poetry. Yay! To... Yay! So, Chinese hermits. They're the good. Chinese hermits, they're awesome. Oh. I'm reading another translation of Cold Mountain's work. Um... This time by a translator named Robert Hendricks, and it's annotated, which is is nice to have information right there, but I don't like the translations as much because it feels a bit too literal and doesn't really get to what Cold Mountain's poetry was doing, which was, was for, for him, it was sort of an act of illumination. Um an act of awareness and, you know, an act of enlightenment to try to discern the actual world around him with as little filtration as possible. And this just seems like a more rote translation. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm reading born. I'm reading, I've been reading that and, uh, other stuff. I've, I've got a couple of stuff in the Netflix queue. I've got, um, Stina's Blackthorn, right? And I've got Theodora Goss the Alchemist's um, daughter. Oh yeah,
3: I just finished that. Uh,
2: yeah, so a lot of good, a lot of good stuff. Just gotta get to it. Jeff,
3: um, I'm gonna rip this pronunciation to bits. I know <laughs> I am, but I, be- I believe his name is Kushwant Singh. Who is an Indian writer who's done a lot of editing and he did a couple of collection he curated a couple of collections of Indian short stories and I read both of those and those are really good and I read part of his memoir and then I started reading a book uh, about the history of sort of a uh, underground agnosticism in, uh, in India which was uh, very intriguing um, and for reasons I still don't know, I went back and started rereading uh Kim Newman's uh, Angels of Music, which I probably read about, oh, I forget how many years ago. Um, it just showed up and read the first page and said, oh yeah, I do like this book. So I've been getting into that. And watching Twin Peaks.
1: Uh, Saladin, anything other than what you've mentioned?
0: Uh, yeah, I... Uh I recently finished a, a, a forthcoming book uh, called The Bloodprint, um, which is uh, a sort of epic fantasy. Um, uh, Asma uh, Khan is the writer's name. Uh, she's a, a Canadian uh, Pakistani woman, uh, uh, human rights lawyer by training, but she's had a, a successful mystery series in Canada and here in the States as well. Uh, although I think it's gotten more attention in Canada, a really good mystery series about, uh, this guy who's a, a kind of Muslim Canadian police detective and uh, his partner, who's kind of a, a hockey mom <laughs> and uh, a hockey mom police detective. And, uh, but it's, uh, you know, they're not kind of yay cops, cops novels are kind of about refugee politics and stuff like that, but they're also good mystery books. But she, she's, written an epic fantasy novel that's uh coming out in a a few months i think it's in october it's coming out it's called the blood print and it's uh it's really interesting it's really uh kind of about religious authority and uh women and uh kind of the taliban but in a in a a pretty responsible and and uh weirdly fun (laughs) way um so so i've been reading that and then uh I've been playing a lot of King of Tokyo with my kids, which I've never played before. So oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, having a lot of fun.
1: Uh with uh the the miniatures that came from the game or, or are you making your own?
0: Oh no, I didn't even consider that. They're just like little cardboard stand ups. Right. But uh yeah, we're uh, my my son's totally into it, so I think we're gonna get the expansions and stuff.
1: There's some pictures from Origins where it's like a, a room size setup you know with the with the the, the monsters are like you know uh, a couple feet high and stuff it was hilarious oh that's
0: that's good cool. well wow.
1: yep, yep Well, for me um i'm still not into the new tw- the, the new twin peaks season yet still working my way through the second season and utterly distracting myself with like six or eight different twin peaks podcasts <laughs> which range from insightful to Uh, I'm going to unsubscribe from you because you idiots don't know what the hell you're talking about. And last night I watched uh, uh, Season 2 Episode 7 which is sometimes known as Lonely Souls where poor Maddie finally meets her end at the hands of of Bob slash Leland. My wife walks in after uh, a, a meeting at the church of the pastoral council and feeling all peaceful and um she's like what the hell is this like that's twin peaks don't worry about it so you know i'm just uh i mean david lynch is a is a gonzo so you know i i don't know whether he wrote this one i can't remember or he directed it but you can just every now and then you come across an episode where you just feel his vibes seeping through (laughs) and that was definitely one of them and otherwise um Reading a lot, nothing. Haven't finished anything recently. Reading some more Glenn Cook. Reading uh, mm-hmm. Linda Nagata again, the, the her trilogy. Um, just read something called Black Bolt, two uh, two volumes of that today. <laughs> well, I can't remember who wrote it.
3: Yeah, some uh,
1: other other titles. I mean, um, uh, Warren Ellis. What the heck is the one? That, I can't remember which one I'm reading now, but I'm rereading Trees and Injection. Uh, speaking of independent, and then Jonathan Hickman and Tom Coker, the Black Monday murders, a new volume of that, that came yeah. out.
3: That's Last like, issue with that was so good. Oh.
1: Yeah, I mean, finance plus the occult, why not? That that works for me. <laughs> and a lot of the Star Wars titles, you know, the Poe Dameron title and the uh, the main Star Wars line, and of course, Dr. Aphra. And People fun, keep
0: talking about that one. Yeah, I haven't, I, I've got to pick it up.
1: Well, did you read the Darth Vader one?
0: I haven't read that long. yeah
1: she yeah. starts out as a like a secondary character in that and just basically takes the whole thing over and I'm so glad they 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 continued as a stand up oh, okay. i mean that that I so much prefer those side stories that they've been doing than the main story Yeah. It, it's so much more fun, and that does it for me so um Thank you, Saladin. I mean, seriously, you are one of the guests that I've been wanting to get on here the longest. So, oh,
0: thank you for having me, man. Glad... I had a
1: blast, you guys. Yeah, this is great. Glad we can finally make it happen. Um, do you want to plug your Patreon or anything like that?
0: Uh, you... no. You you guys can find me on Twitter. You know where I am. Yep. <laughs> but uh no, it was, it was it was really fun talking to you guys. And uh this is a it's like a Twitter, in, well, not in real life, but in audio life at least. So,
1: yeah. And longer than 140 characters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, much, much longer. All right, well, final thoughts, Jeff or John?
3: No, I'm good. Oh.
1: And final thoughts, Saladin, anything? No, just thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And listeners, uh, we are exploring other things to do. Uh, we John and I, I think, have gotten the mandate to do the Samuel R. Delaney Literary Podcast. And uh, mm. as previously mentioned, we want to do another episode about Borges. And we have uh, at least one, one guest booked who keeps bugging us to make sure we are reading her book. So, <laughs> we, yes, we, yes, we are reading your book and who knows what else will shake out in the trees so thank you for listening thank you saladin and good night to all good night good night good night